0: most beautiful service of the entire year, and when Sherry asked me last fall already if I would be willing to bring the message this morning, I said, preaching at the Easter service is one of my favorite things, so thanks for having me here this morning since your pastor is on vacation, and what I want to do this morning is have us think about the question we sung about the resurrection. We've heard about the resurrection already from Matthew 28. What I would like for us to do is to, to sort of think about what this risen savior means for us, what the risen savior does for us. And if you were asked to, to write just one paragraph, paragraph in this coming week to just say, not, not from the things that I'm going to be saying, but to just sit back for a moment and say, Okay, we've been talking about the resurrection. Now, what does this risen Savior mean for me? What does he do for me? And how does that and how can that change my life? And to talk about that, I'm going to be reading from John 21. Psalm 21, which takes place after the resurrection. John 21, I'm beginning to read at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Peter said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, a hundred and fifty three, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and were where you did not want to be. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Christ had risen. Jesus of Nazareth had come back to life after being crucified. But you know, looking at those seven disciples there at the Sea of Galilee, you would have never guessed that anything strange had happened because no angels, no women running from the tomb. And Peter, instead of shouting, he's risen, says, I'm going fishing. And the others telling him, for nothing better to do, say, well, we'll go fishing with you. And it just seemed as if everything was back to where it had been. There wasn't a trace of the risen Savior, and these disciples were exactly where they'd started, three years ago when the Lord had first called them. And here they are back doing nothing except fishing. And then to top it all off, they fish all night, and they don't catch a thing. Absolutely nothing. You can just about imagine how frustrating that must have been. Wondering about the risen Savior. Wondering if it had changed anything. And then coming to the conclusion that they had been spinning their wheels fishing. Well, when sometime back, I was reading this passage for my personal devotions. It came to me that this is not only a story about those seven disciples. This is really a picture of what life is often all about. It's a portrayal of what life so often is for all of us. You come to church on Easter Sunday... You sing those beautiful hymns and you sing it out. Christ the Lord is risen today. And hopefully you feel something of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and you know that something spectacular happened. And then comes Monday. And it's back to school. It's back to work. It's back to your office. It's back to that hospital room. It's back to all of those challenges and problems and difficulties that you've left behind for just a short while. And then you, then you turn on the news. And you find out that, that in the two years since Jesus lived, nothing has gotten better in the Middle East. Instead of Roman soldiers crucifying innocent people, now it's the evil called ISIS that's crucifying and beheading millions of people. And then you read about those attacks in Brussels, where innocent people died. And you hear about refugees pouring into Europe. And you read about a presidential election where presidential candidates are attacking each other, talking about whose wife is more attractive. And you kind of wonder You kind of wonder if you too sometimes are are spinning your wheels as if if nothing has ever changed. And you don't know whether that makes any difference that the resurrection took place. Until, until something happens. And that's how it was for those disciples. They were frustrated. They thought they were spinning their wheels until they heard a voice the voice of the Lord Jesus, until they listened to that voice when he told them to go throw their nets out on the other side, and until they recognized the Lord Jesus Christ. And that changed everything. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, when the Lord Jesus comes and stands next to you and meets us where we are, something changes also for us. Now, we won't see... At least most of us won't see the Lord Jesus the way those disciples saw and recognize him. But in Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He never changes. And he says in Matthew 28, the last verse, he says, I'll be with you until the end of the ages. In other words, the same risen Savior who stood on the shore, talked to those disciples, and had breakfast with them, that same Lord Jesus wants to be part of our everyday lives. That breakfast that he's got there is an indication that that, that Jesus is concerned about everything that we do in life. Every little thing, every place we go, he wants to be there too. Now, sometimes he comes to people in dramatic ways. Most of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. He, on his way to Damascus, saw that that sudden light. And he met the risen Savior when he would least expected him. But Jesus wanted to be with Paul and wanted to change him. A week ago Friday, I was at the Holland Rescue Mission. And as I was standing there, we, we served lunch there on Fridays, when I was standing, as I was standing there, I saw one of the residents sitting at a table by himself and he was reading the Bible. And then he was praying, at least that's what I think he was doing because he, it was very intense. It wasn't just a short prayer, Lord bless this food, but he, he really seemed to be communicating with God. And so when he came to the salad bar, I... I started talking to him and I said, I saw you reading, what were you reading? He said, I was reading the Gospel of Matthew and I said, well, have you known the Lord a long time? And he said, no. Well, I said, what happened? How did you come to know the Lord? Well, he said, I made a mess out of my life. I was arrested, spent time in jail, and then I came here. And he said, it was here at this place for the first time that I got a glimpse of the risen Savior. No, not in person, but he said, I met Jesus in this place. And the Holland Rescue Mission became the voice and the face of the risen Savior. And he said, I've never felt so free in all my life. When I was nine or ten years old, a neighbor lady across the street was dying of cancer. From what I'm told, she was a very faithful person close to the Lord, but her husband was a total unbeliever. He wanted to have nothing to do with the Lord. He wanted to have nothing to do with church. He tolerated her going, but that's as far as it went. Well, the night that this neighbor lady lay dying, suddenly at night, there was a bright light right above her bed. And according to the son who was there and who told me this story, according to the son, the neighbor lady reached up and they were sure that she was seeing the Lord Jesus and she was reaching out to him. And through that light, whatever that may have been, through that light, this unbelieving husband understood that God is alive that there is a risen Savior, and that he too needed that Savior. And in his 50s, he made a public profession of his faith in our church in my hometown. I had a brother-in-law. When he was about 18 or 19, he was arrested by the Germans and was sent to a German concentration camp. And he was telling me about the... the horrendous situation there. He said they were being starved to death. They were cold all the time. And then he got a severe infection in his leg. And he was absolutely sure that he was not going to come home again. He he was sure that he was going to die that night. Now, he was not an overly religious person. In fact, he said there wasn't a trace of God's presence in that camp. There was just misery, that was all. And you you couldn't see anything of God, and he paid little attention to God. But he says, he said that during the night, there was an audible voice that said to him, as plain as can be, you're not going to die, you will be going home again. And he said, that was my first sign in my 18 or 19 years that I really began to believe that God is alive and that we do serve a risen Savior. Now, for most of us, we won't get that kind of dramatic appearance. For most of us, it will be in in totally different ways. But one thing that you need to go home with today to know that no matter where you find yourself tomorrow, whether it's in the hospital room, whether it's at the cemetery, or whether it's at the funeral home, whether it's at school, on the playground, in the classroom, in your office, wherever it is, you need to know that Christ, the risen Savior, will be right there. And whether you believe in him or don't believe in him, whether you see him or don't see him, the fact of the matter is, and that's the certainty of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ Meets us where we are. He wants to be part of our everyday lives. Oh, quite often we don't even recognize him because we get so caught up in all kinds of things and there seems to be so little time to to think about the Lord. But he's there and don't ever forget because this risen Savior who appeared to those disciples is here this morning and he wants to go with you. And when he comes and meets us where we are, he accepts us as we are. Now, to me that's pretty amazing. I, I, you know, when I think about that, when I read the story about Jesus coming to Peter and what happens there, it's, it's pretty amazing and pretty beautiful because if, if anyone had done to me what Peter did to the Lord Jesus, I wouldn't be so kind. I don't think I'd want anything to do with him anymore. If I had been Jesus, and if if Peter had denied me, as he did Jesus, he's, he's with Jesus for three years. He'd made that big claim, I'll never deny you, I'd rather die. And then he denies the Lord Jesus three times. Well, if I had been Jesus, I would have said to Peter, Peter, you know what, I can't trust you. I don't want. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I, I really. I thought you were going to be one of my followers, but I'd rather have you go home. But Jesus doesn't do that, and I'm saying that's such a beautiful thing that Jesus accepts us as we. You know what Jesus does instead? Doesn't say you did this, you did that, and how could you do it? He says, Peter, or Simon, son of John, do you love me? That's the question. Do you? love me? Three times he asked that question. Do you love me more than these? That's all. Showing Peter that he reinstates him, he trusts him and then he says, feed my lambs. And Peter, Peter can work for Jesus. Jesus accepts him again. and And see, he doesn't just do that with Peter. He does that for all of us. You see, all of us need to be forgiven. I don't care who you are. There's only one human being who does not need to be forgiven because he's never done anything wrong and he's running for president. (laughs) But the majority of us, all the rest of us, every single one of of us have things that we need, lots of things that we need to be forgiven for. And Jesus comes to us And he he deals with us because, you see, he wants us to get rid of that guilt. When you're unforgiven, there's guilt. And you begin to wonder, will God forgive me? About three months before my dad passed away, he wrote me a letter. He was in the Netherlands, I was here. And he said in that letter, because he knew the end was coming, he said, will God accept me when I die? So much has gone wrong in my life. And I could write him back and I could say, Dad, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died and rose again. And I quoted from Isaiah that when our sins are as red as scarlet, they're going to be white as snow. And two months later, he died peacefully, knowing that because of Jesus, because of the risen Savior, he was right with God. And then there was this this young young woman in her 20s, I think, late 20s, that came to talk to me once in in a church in Illinois. She'd had an abortion when she was 16. And then she'd gotten married, and now she was expecting, and she felt so terribly guilty, and she was absolutely sure that God was going to get even with her. She was sure that the baby would either be stillborn or that there'd be something seriously wrong with her baby. And so she, she needed to talk. She needed to somehow, if possible, get rid of that guilt. And, and we talked. And we prayed. And she prayed. And she confessed. And then she could go home with the perfect peace that, that Jesus accepts us as we are. No, he doesn't condone sin. That's not the point. But he takes care of sin. That's what we've been talking about. Good Friday and this morning. We've sung about that. Jesus accepts us as we are. And then, of course, there was Joyce. Now, some of you knew Joyce and Herb. They lived right here in Grandville on the other side of 28th Street when, when I was working here for the Ivan Rest Church. And, and some of you, if you didn't know, they might have heard me tell the story. I've told it I don't know how many times. So... If you don't want to hear it again, plug your ears for just a little bit. But anyway, there's Joyce and Herb. They had been brought up in the church, but over the years, they had drifted away from the Lord. Just paid no attention to God, paid no attention to the church. But then their house burned one night, right here on Byron Center Avenue. Not Byron Center, Ivan West, I mean. It burned, and their oldest son died in that fire. And because of the love of people from Ivanrest and the love of people from the other Grandville churches, they began to understand that Jesus was alive, that, that Jesus did care about them, because all the people banded together and built them a new house. And during the time that they were living in an apartment, I got to know them. Somebody asked me if I would visit them. and I started visiting them regularly because their husband at that time had cancer. And so we had some great talks. And then one time, when I was ready to leave, she handed me a book. She had inscribed it, and she said something like, thanks for being our friend. And, and then she handed me the book at the door, and she said, this is the story of our lives. The book was by Max Licato in The Grip of Grace. And she said, the reason We've met the risen Savior. The reason we've come back to the Lord is because we've been in the grip of God's grace. She fully understood what it means that that Christ forgives, that he removes our guilt and takes us just as we are. And whoever you are, wherever you have been, whatever has happened in your life, whatever you've been involved with, every single person here, you've got to be assured that the Lord Jesus Christ is waiting for you to come just as you are, and he'll take care of the rest, and he will reinstate you, he will renew you, and he will want to use you. Because this Savior, this risen Savior, who comes to us where we are, accepts us as we are. That's the good news of Easter. That's what it means for you. That Jesus, the risen Savior, will be with you, stand next to you tomorrow. And every day of your life, no matter where you find yourself, and then he doesn't push you away. He doesn't say, he can't handle you. Because, you know, he would have had every reason. Now, we don't know each other that well, and you don't know that much about me, but, but you know, he would have had every reason over the years to say to me, Schoenfeld, you're out of here. Because, because he knows me. He can read my thoughts. He knows what I've said, how I've heard other people. He knows that I've denied the Lord over and over again. And I think most of us have. And he never did. For almost 50 years, he never said, Schoonball, I'm done with you. He allowed me and still allows me. That's grace, you see, that's forgiveness. That's the risen Savior. And then he promises to go with us into the future. That's a big thing. Because The future is unknown. And to some people, the future is very, very scary. I had an email this week from a friend in the Netherlands. He says, us people in Europe are scared right now. We're confused and we're scared, and we don't know when the next terror attack is going to be. We, we just don't know. We're just kind of up in the air. We don't know what to do with it. And he said, is it a sign that, that Jesus is coming soon? He didn't, he didn't know how to put it all together. Of course there is fear in Europe. And of course there is a there is terrific... Circumstances in the Middle East, the way the people there have been killed off and, and cities have been destroyed and, and you think about that and you think, what, what's our future going to be? Is it going to ha- happen in our country? And this is presidential election year and I heard a conservative radio person saying that if so-and-so doesn't get elected, our country is done for. And you know what? That's absolute rubbish. have to say it absolute rubbish because because you see Jesus who said I'll be with you till the end of the age also said all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth and the end of a nation does not come through one human being only the Lord Jesus Christ will decide what happens in a country and who gets to be the next person to be president no not that we don't care Not that we don't exercise our responsibility to vote and try to vote for the right person, but, you know, you sometimes wonder whether anybody's in charge. You've got to read Isaiah 40. It's such a majestic chapter. Isaiah 40 says that that the nations are as a drop in the bucket. People are like grasshoppers, and the rulers of the nation... As nothing before you. And we can have a big head and we can say, oh, this person is awesome and that person is awesome. They only rule under God. Christ has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's the assurance. And and yes, there are lots of other things that we're afraid of. Parents worry about their children. Things are not getting easier for, for parents who raise children with with everything they can see on social media and 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 so many things seem to be disintegrating and and so you get scared about that and grandparents get scared about their grandkids and and some people struggle with their health and they wonder how long it's going to last and they don't quite know what's going to happen and then there is for those who reach a certain age there is a fear of death so many things to be afraid of but you see when those fears come and they will come Time and again, it's not like you're in church now and you can put your fears behind because they all come back. But at the same time, when those fears come, you've got to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who holds all power. It says in that one song, we don't know about tomorrow, but we know who holds tomorrow. Christ has all power. He's going to be there and he walks with us into the future. No, he doesn't promise miraculous catch of fish. He doesn't say that when you go home, this will be straightened out and that will be straightened out. Not at all. But he promises to stand next to us and to give us the strength that we need to go on and to be the kind of people that he wants us to be. And you know what he wants us to be? He wants us to, to pray for open eyes that we can detect, that we can see the presence of Jesus. He wants us to listen, pray for listening ears so that we can hear when Jesus talks to us. And he wants us to tap into the power of the risen Savior. Read Philippians 3, where Paul says that he wants nothing more than to experience the power of the resurrection. Somebody said years ago that, that too many Christians are living on the wrong side of Easter. And what he meant with that was that so many Christians go through life with long faces. They, they live in fear. They, they, they whine and they complain. And he's saying, if you really know the risen Savior, you can't live like that. You can't be down in the mouth. You can't have a chip on your shoulders because Christ has risen. We sung about that. And then, of course, and that's how Paul sums up that beautiful chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, when he says that you and I always because of the resurrection, have to abound in the work of the Lord. There's work to be done. There is work to be done for people that have met the risen Savior. And I don't know what that means for you, or I can only figure out what that means for me to abound in the work of the Lord. That he's saying you can move into the future and you can do it with confidence, but you've got to make sure that you discover what it means for you to abound in the work of the Lord. Because you're not here. We're not here to gather toys. We're not here to make life as comfortable as we can. We're not here so that we can have just a carefree life because that's not going to happen. But We've got to figure that out. And perhaps some of us have to become the voice or the face of the risen Savior. Because there are all kinds of people out there who've never heard about a risen Savior. And there may be some in your circles. And you can't keep that to yourself. You know, this past week, I don't know if I should admit that we watch Fox News every once in a while, but I will anyway, just so you don't tell anybody. But, but anyway, Jesse Waters this week was sent out to, to ask people about Easter. And he goes to all kinds of different people and says, what does Easter mean to you? And you got some of the most ridiculous answers. But what it really meant was that half, more than half of the people that he was asking had no clue, absolutely no idea what Easter stood for from a Christian perspective. And you know what? That's partly our fault. It's partly my fault. Have I really been the voice and face of Jesus and say I serve a risen Savior? He's in the world today. And so you and I can leave here in the beautiful assurance that that Jesus is where we are, that he accepts us as we are when we come to him and that he walks with us. And then he'll give us the power and the strength to abound in the work of the Lord. And you can be sure, then you'll not be frustrated because he says it, inasmuch as you know that what you do will not be vain in the Lord. May God give you a blessed Easter and may you live and walk with a risen Savior. Amen. Father, thank you so much that we could celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us and being raised to life. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your willingness now to go with us, to, to, to open our eyes and to let us see what we need to do. And we, we just give you all the glory and we just pray, Lord, that, that those of us who are here may have caught a glimpse of the risen Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a very beautiful song. It's one of my favorites. In Christ alone, I... I, it, it became special to me, and I said that at the other service, too, when, um, when we were at the memorial service for Bob Hearspring, and we sang that song. And so, please, really sing it out, don't hold anything back, except I, I'm stuck here. Oh, no, I, I'm not. I'm not, Randy.